Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. And tonight's guest is a former colleague of mine, Mark Johnson, MBE. Mark Johnson and I worked together at the Princess Trust. Mark had a really tough start in life. He developed a drug addiction. He went on to offend uh, and spent some time in jail. He then used that experience to start his charity, Use a Voice, which we'll really get into in this episode. Use a Voice effectively helps stop or end recidivism. Um, it helps people transition out of prison and hopes to ensure that they don't go back in. Um, incredibly powerful human being, Mark. Um, one of the most mission-driven people I've ever met. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Charity that you founded and you're running to this day. So Use a Voice... Uh, income of around close to two million. Would that be right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How many? How many staff have you got? Uh, there's uh, plus fifty. And based in offices um, in London, North Wales, and yeah. So yeah, there's there's uh, so there's uh, I would sort of run through it. There's five offices, uh, plus fifty staff, um, working across. We're ninety percent. 96% contractually funded. Um, we're 80% um, led and delivered and em- employ and led by uh, people with lived experience of the criminal justice system. Uh, and so so what that means is basically ex-offenders, um, which is a quite a derogatory term, but people with lived experience have found themselves in criminal justice, navigated out. We literally train, uh, uh, we have a model of um, it's a uh, it's council democratically elected um, um, uh, representative groups within prisons and within uh, probation services, and, uh, and then we we sort of um, tr- uh, bring ideas and insights, and then bring the the directors and senior people within those um, authorities together and co-produce solutions that work for everyone. So basically. Um, uh, service policy and delivery design changes, um, and we do we do that obviously across the country. Because you, I sat in a room. Like, what my audience doesn't know is that you're incredibly good on your feet. So you can, I, I've seen you, you know, really capture an audience. And I remember you saying this vividly. Remember you saying that, how does a pig know it can fly unless it can see another pig fly, or something along those lines? And I probably got that horribly wrong. But yeah. your yeah. that, that um, connecting people who are from this is my memory of it. This is your original vision. Uh, young people generally, or people in prison who are about to leave, and these horrendous rates of recidivism in across the world, but especially in the UK, that's where we're talking. And you paired those people with people who had been through that experience and gave them an outlet, showed them a different way through that that what you say is lived experience but it it's you know that was the kind of i remember that being the original vision but it's obviously become a lot more it become a lot more um yeah 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 what what i mean so where so where it started from is one is i've i'm an ex-offender and an ex-drug addict uh i've been clean actually on the 22nd of july uh 20 years um, and um, and then you know got help through the Prince's Trust, started a, a, an arboricultural business because I love trees, still do, 
Um, I'm sat amongst them now as we're talking. And, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, and through that and those awards, it gives me a platform, as you know, Mark, where we come into contact um, to to speak truth to power, and uh, which is a... It's quite a rare opportunity for a lot of people that are experiencing, you know, the sharp end of criminal justice or any social problem, actually. Uh, but when I did, I kind of went to the bathroom and just sort of banged my head against the wall and said, right, you've got a couple of minutes to really throw the kind of um, the challenge out there. And I remember Prince of Wales sat next to me and the director of probation sat next to me there. And um, the premise of what I said was, and it's still true, is that people that make the policy do not understand the living reality, right? Mm. And so in in when we've got we've got a group of people, whether it's academics, whether it's police or senior uh, people with these political politically driven top down policies of being tough on crime, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they create these really ill fitting um, services based on their insight and not on actually what works, what doesn't, and also getting the community or, you know, that offending community, uh, giving them a stake in their own rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and it was heard, you know, it was heard and they said, you know what, we don't, we don't do that. We invent these things and we wonder why they don't work. Well, let's wind the clock on Mark, you know, 15 years since we've known each other. So it started there. I worked with the um, uh, different charities to help them. And what, what become really apparent is even within the charitable sector, in fact, it's worse because in a business, we, we would be joined by our market interest, creating a market interest and, it, and our motivation is profit. Okay. The worst thing mm. about charity is they say that it's about helping people but but underneath it is driven by economic profit and and uh, market interest. So there's lots of protecting of market interests, whether yeah. whether something's relevant or not. And the very and vulnerable communities out there doesn't necessarily mean criminal justice. It means you know it could be poverty defined predominantly. You know what I mean? Uh, if you don't mm. put a mechanism out there that is led authentic and absolutely led on democratic principles, which is the dirty word democracy, fair, inclusive, um, and full participatory, Um, you can literally, if you've got power and money and the ear of, you know, senior political advice, you can literally say whatever you want about these vulnerable groups. And it's not until we've got this mechanism that we sink into these communities, can we actually hear what the actual problems are? And then we Eddie, hear what the yeah, stories no, yeah. are. I was just going to say, jump in there and say, so almost those charities are doomed, like the whole structure of them, the way they're, they're sort of set up, almost doomed, doomed to fail. Uh, and it's it's actually just a circulation of cash often and, and they're not really getting to the crux of helping their stakeholders, well, their clients. Yeah, it's an industry, you know, it's an industry. And we've got, you know, we've got these, all these constructs now of like social enterprises. And, you know, when you and I met, it's predominantly charity where there's such as high net worth individuals giving money out. Well, then the governments around the world starts to create these quango type uh, charities that do public services on the cheap. So drug intervention, homeless charity, et cetera. And they start to interact with government services. But along those lines, they've changed the function of themselves. 
And so they're driven by political policies rather than actually from the ground up. And that is social, uh, the communities saying actually what those needs and the people that are closer to that can advocate on behalf of having that advocacy, advocacy voice. And the whole thing, yeah. in my view, is all got a little bit detached from reality. Um, and that's and top, the, top down, top down versus like, um, you know, bottom up. And and you, what I loved absolutely got with you is that you, you were always mission driven and actually, you know, uh, the professionalism of the charity, you always, that always stung with you, didn't it? Like you just, that's the thing you kind of hated most actually. And I remember, you know, yep. kind of the obvious, when you joined the Prince's Trust or you are part of it, I thought, you know, this guy's destined to be, you know, move up the ranks he's gonna you know he's gonna carve out the kind of mark genius that is but actually you did the opposite of that you said you know like i can see these too many constrictions they're gonna you know constrict us to failure we're not gonna represent i'm not gonna represent the people i'm passionate about for you that was ex-offenders so actually i'm gonna i'm gonna go off and i'm gonna create my own thing um and, it, yes. and it's gonna be yeah. code co-design with the very people that you're trying to help. And, and you said, what, nine, so 90% of your staff are ex-offenders have been through yeah, the cr- so it's, criminal... It's 80% 80, 80 plus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, is there... you, you're, you're, you're completely right, Mark. I mean, the, 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 I, I offered my help, so I'm the most reluctant founder uh, because I think as, as with the, if you've got a purpose the first thing that you do is look around to look at who's doing something and, and at least have the sort of humility to go and join that because if you're driven by purpose and there's already a vehicle that's fit for purpose, then make that vehicle better by your yeah. energy. Yeah. And like a lot of people like uh, that I've come across over the time said, you know, oh, I want this whole genre of social entrepreneurs and all this sort of stuff. You know, there's even a course of it. I, I went and spoke with the Clinton Global Initiative in Arizona, you know, and their universities are starting these like, you know, entrepreneurial programs and stuff. And they, they, they say, oh, what is it? So it's a form of brain damage. You know, it's a it's a mental illness, uh, social entrepreneurism, because as you said, you're driven by purpose. Well, that comes at a consequence. You know, your mind doesn't switch off, you know, yeah. but for me, the, my 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 foundation is my past. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I spent a number of years, as you, as you know, up until the age of 30, being drug addicted, living on the streets and living in prison. Then I found my purpose uh, when when I got clean. Uh, part of that being like recovery and uh, rehabilitation is this overwhelming desire to want to go and help other people like me and and protect them and speak on their behalf. So the things that happened to me or the ill-fitting programs and stuff which I was subjected to doesn't get passed to them. Yeah. It's not it's not a career for me. It's, no. it's I, I will, through the stigma that's attached to being an ex-offender and an ex-drug addict, I will never be able to take the coat off of stigma, that that yep. that coat of stigma off. Mm-hmm. Whereas like it, these the professional genres, well, I'm not, I'm not detracting people's sort of commitment and, uh, and integrity, but I, I am sort of saying where I'm coming from is that, you know, this social purpose, it, it we should have a, like a real colourful, uh, community of people that have actually got the lived experience that now become and run and uh, and lead these social uh, missions and organisations. 
Um, on that, what, on that what, note, actually, you said yeah. you quite, quite, and I quote. So, in an article you wrote, I think it was 2018, you said, "Why lived experience is an asset, not a risk," and which yes. really, which really intrigued. I think that's a great quote. Just explain the risk bit. So, the lived experience clearly is what Mark Johnson and User Voice is all about. But what's the do you what do you perceive as not a risk? Because you organizations struggle with that. Um, yes. So, yeah. so, so it, it, I mean, so it's an interesting thing. So one is like you, what's, uh, it's quite an, an interesting subject and I could probably talk about it for all day, but the, um, it, when we say about, um, a, a lived experience is an asset to sit around the table that when we're making decisions about a group of people that let's face it, we have an opinion of and we're informed through literature, through the media, through all these different channels uh, and then start to make decisions about, well, we, if we don't have that lived experience around us while we're making that decision, we're more kind of predisposed to make decisions that are based on what we think will work and not what a community. So where the lived experience comes in as an asset is it's a temperature test as you're uh, and using co-design of a service. So if a service doesn't work for the community, it just doesn't work. And yet what we're, we're driven by the economists about value for money around the cheapest service, da, 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 da. but predominantly a lot of the times service users, especially in vulnerable communities will say, what? That, you know, this report that come out, what, they paid half a million pounds to, to basically state that to their academic and political mates. Well, yeah. Any of us lot could have told them that. Yeah. And what's more, we could have gone even further. Yeah. We could have gone, like, you know, it's not, you know, so people say, oh, it's about jobs. No, it's not. It's about employability. It's about the uh, uh, programs and um, uh, to get people psychologically ready for work. It's about, it's not about managing risk. It's about teaching people how they manage their own risk. So we live in a risk of a society. So user voice, obviously, it, I took a big bite and sometimes I regret it, but the big bite was criminal justice. Not only is there no user voice, um, there, there was stuff like in physical disabilities, probably the loudest voice and political one, uh, mental health, all that sort of stuff, patients and stuff. And But within criminal justice, there's something distinctively different, and that is there's a media venom towards wanting to even listen to these people because of the things that they've done. Yeah, yeah. But, but actually knowing the group and actually just being really smart about it, Actually, those people do still need to be. It's actually more more appropriate for those people to be included into the design of interventions because they they, they cause so much risk to society. You know, it's ultimately about reducing victims. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's yeah. the whole thing when you yeah. do that by by putting the correct interventions out for people. But here's the thing: criminal justice is the most the, the biggest steel door of change of. Uh, listening of anything that involves innovation, you know, predominantly our incarceration rates have gone higher and higher every year. They've never gone uh, backwards. They're about to go even more. The UK government's announced uh, four new prisons. And and what was bizarre about it said, we're building four new prisons and underneath it, it will be good for the economy. 
just absolutely so yeah. detached from reality. We yeah. need to be building less prisons and we need to be creating less disadvantage within our community so people won't inhabit our prisons yeah. uh, or on these community orders and, and the public won't be being ripped off by paying you know, these big juggernauts and uh, public services around probation that all they do is really sit there and monitor the likelihood of somebody committing another offence. They don't yeah. actually get involved with them. Yeah. And um, and and so we, we need, um, you know, where you said risk and asset, there's a, there's a unique insight that somebody with lived experience offers. And we've got a system that literally predominantly goes off risk aversion. So I'll give you an example, like a prison, uh, a prison governor, right? So somebody who's, uh, in charge of a prison, how, how is it, how is his performance measured? You know, his performance isn't measured on how many people um, come out and then reoffend and go back in. He, he, it's nothing to do with him. That yeah, those people have spent X number of years contained within those four walls. Yeah, yeah, but but he doesn't. He won't lose his job over the perform the poor performance of somebody going back. He gets measured predominantly on how many people don't break out of his prison. Yeah, yeah, crazy. That's, yeah. that's a ridiculous measurement. Yeah. Whereas actually, the inhabitants in the prison, the 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 prisoners, um, they know a, a large portion of them know what kind of the prerequisites are needed for them to be a bit more, to be stable and to give them an opportunity on release. And what's, what's interesting about that is some of those prisons, they wouldn't be able to answer because they've never come into contact of rehabilitation and change. But the ex-offenders, people like me and others, have a unique insight to say what works, what doesn't, and how we can literally all work together to solve that. And that's that's predominantly at a hundred thousand feet level what my uh, charity does on a very local level. It, it involves prisoners. It pulls the power constructs from the uh, those services and it puts them together in very formal uh, environments where one group they share their experience, they share their insights into uh, what you know what the problem is and also what could work. And then the, the the prison governors or the directors or the senior managers uh, come together and then co-design. And we've had all sorts of um, real, real tangible success uh, you know, since its establishment. Because mm. um, that, so, that yeah. co-design co co is, it, it's almost like, it's almost too late. Eh? It's like, it should have happened a long time ago. But if you think of in the commercial world, everyone, everyone's sort of talking about, um, user experience so you know UX to drive design of products whether it's technical products you know um, or whether yep. any sort of product and and actually you know so much of what we know of as uh, interventional charity or, or government intervention was just done to uh, without that co-design of, of really working together on solutions what what we're, what I'm interested in actually is the incentive side of things so yeah. we, we talked about you know this talk of privatizing prisons and and then if you talk that great analogy where you've got a, a governor of a prison uh, and incentivizing the governor of prison and their staff to rehabilitate to provide completely changed environment um, wh what needs to happen 
like you know you you sound sound like you're making significant impact on a local level what's your vision sort of nationally or globally what needs to happen to, is it privatization of prisons with different incentives well we i mean we've so in 2000 so I, I started to work on this charity founded it in 2008 it was officially registered as a charity in 2010 and then it literally started to deliver straight away and over the 10 years we've grown into like 40 odd contracts uh it went up to about 29 prisons in the uk uh out of a, a 120 um and then all, all of the probation areas so community justice so people who get a court order that serve their community uh, time in the community we're across we're bigger in that area well four years ago um the minister chris grayling which is just an absolute um scandal really uh, that's been swept under the carpet uh, come out with this idea of transforming rehabilitation which was he literally stripped 70 percent of probation services uh, that was in the with, with public uh, services and privatized them and then within that there were about, I think, about eight different uh, private sector providers which took those contracts. He also um, said that 40,000 people on under 12-month sentences and orders now get monitored, have a probation officer. Now, ideally, that's quite commendable, but in reality, you're looking at those 40% of the most chaotic group. You know, they're not serious uh, offenders, but they are like really pesky, you know, sort of in and out and uh, uh, causing lots of um, delays within police time and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and now they've just re announced a renationalization. So reverting back to a, a, a public service national model. Wow. Um, now on the ground. So if you're a, uh, an ex an offender, you know, you get sentenced to court, etc. They don't even know that that it's changed hands over the last four years. Uh, how they do know what they do know is the degradation of the services, and what's occurring now. I mean, well, now is that's another uh, story altogether. Right now, under yeah. COVID and stuff, you got you know twenty four hour bang up in prison. Uh, you've got offenders in the community either not being managed or being managed by a, what you call a dumb phone, uh, or, you know, just a phone that the probation officer can call you and see where you are and stuff, which is ridiculous. It, there need to be smartphones to get offenders to take uh, advantage of all the online courses and stuff that are available for mm. free as well. You know, everybody's done an online course uh, under the last three months. Well, yeah. uh, uh, offenders haven't. You know, they've just literally been left. So it... So ultimately, is the end user has suffered. So if you imagine a whole business being told that you're now going, you're going to be potentially made redundant, what's your focus on? Is it the work or your own sense of security? Mm. So we've had that four years ago. That started. And, every, and then the businesses are realigning themselves to go for bids and putting all their resources into bids and restructures and et cetera, et cetera. All of that has got an impact on that end user. Obviously, yeah. And the public are paying for the whole lot, whether it's through public service or private. It's the biggest ripoff ever. And now, then the private sector come in, then they've re, you know, reorganized themselves and their, what their contracts contain and et cetera. And everybody starts to deliver. And then all of a sudden, the political wants to take it all the way back. And now everybody's doing all worried about their job security and then going back. Well, ultimately, the public are paying for this mess. 
Nobody's yeah. accountable politically. And service users ultimately are not getting the things that they need to not land back into prison or on, uh, in front of a judge. Yeah. And I think um, funding, and- funding is so important because you know, I remember at the Princess Trust days uh, back in that sort of, um, you know, like contracts would get devised by government and it would be, a, you know, it would be a race to the bottom. So it was price, price, price. And, and you know, you got classroom solutions for, uh, you know, transforming someone's life and that's never going to work, but that was the cheapest form of delivery, but it got the numbers of young people, for example. It sounds a bit like the switch for the criminal justice system and around probation, the quality went from the pro- from the for the private sector because they're trying to make a margin. Would that be right for their shareholders? Yeah. You well, know, the- uh, not necessarily. You know, not necessarily. The the performance of probation pre um the, let's call it transport TR we call it transform rehabilitation were very very good standards within probation, and that has reduced slightly. But what you've got to remember is the through austerity measures that happened in the UK that criminal justice budget got reduced to probably by about four billion. So literally, politically, they just ripped the whole funding from it. Now, and then people would say that, oh, there's poor performance, but it's you've got to be measured on the correct uh, parameters and budgets, yeah? Mm. And actually, people can blame uh, public... Uh, uh, I, I, would pretty, I would pretty much think that Nobody's made any profit from criminal justice services within the private sector. I think they probably had um, their, 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 you know, their eyes were on possibly using the first bit of transforming rehabilitation as a lost leader to get into the criminal justice marketplace because of government contracts are lucrative, etc. And then pretty much within six months of those uh, contracts going live, finding out that they're, all of the budget's being clawed back and uh, you know there's no profit in it. So I, I don't hear too much um, uh, lamenting or campaigns by the private sector of this next phase of renationalisation. No. Um, you know, what, what we've got to... You know, and I'll try to sort of bring people's attention to this is a really big ripoff by politicians. Yeah, like they literally like that they're, they're not doing a service to the community. And what 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 really scares me is that you know this this guy Chris Grayling, the the MP, he he's got had a, the most disastrous political career. Um, you know, within transport, etc. But he he was given an unbridled um, uh, free reign over uh, criminal justice system. And his ideas, not even proven ideas, they were ideologically driven, i.e., you know, the the market will take care of itself, um, you know, in the private sector. Um, he he, He drove this through. And everybody on the sidelines, people who spent their whole careers, university professors, um, uh, interventionists, uh, you know, people, psychotherapists and people who are running prisons and criminal justice, everybody, not just one person, everybody was saying this is a disastrous decision. And he literally drove it into the ground. Now, and now we're going backwards and nobody's, it's like the biggest national scandal ever, the biggest national ripoff, and nobody said anything about it. And I just, I find it, I find it very worrying. I'm talking even charities as well. 
Yeah. Because what what's happened within this social space, as I said to you, is uh, before you've got what you've got charities which have one is they're centered in the community, two is they have a degree of autonomy because of unrestricted ex- outside income mm. coming in because they're driven by mission and purpose. Yeah. Where what's happened is they, they they've changed the function of themselves by t- accepting government contracts. There's even memos out around um, not going public with any kind of uh, thing that that sort of puts the government's decisions sure. in 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 under scrutiny. And and so what you've got is um, you've got basically a manipulation of the whole system and a seduction of keeping your mouth shut through a contract. Now, and how, as how a, do you deal for with a society, that? And that, yeah. this is globally as well. Mm. This is really dangerous stuff because there's no scrutiny. Yeah, and we need scrutiny. We need we need people who are autonomous. And you know, that's you... the whole worldwide. You know, we could say it. You know, the parliamentary commission—they are impotent. You know, they 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 literally need to be holding these people to account. They're making these decisions that are saying this stuff, but they've got no remorse. There's no ownership. You know, and and for me, it's the the public need to stop it. Um, you know, the public need to stop it because we're I'm witnessing now. Uh, when we, you and I met fifteen years ago, the system was bad, right? And it was bad enough for for me to want to get involved and to to try and help, yeah, to change stuff. Now it's a lot worse, right? So in in two thousand and eight, the economic climate hit. Uh, user voice has grown within that environment. So that proves to you that we do a lot more for a lot less. And uh, there's valid. And a, a prison governor just recently said, look, I can let go of staff, but I can't let go of user voice model. Wow. Because mm-hmm. I've got to make decisions now that literally I can't even pretend to do what I was doing before. So in those decisions, I need to collaborate with prisoners more than ever before. So and and we're living through that time. So the last twelve months, um, there's a population of eighty two thousand prisoners in the UK right now. It, last twelve months, there were fifty five thousand recorded incidents of self harm. Wow! So that's a ligature around the neck, a cutting through battery cases. Um, you know, people who basically are, 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 are harming themselves, 55,000. Now, what people would say, the critic would say, oh, well, that's incidents. That's, that could be the same person. Okay, let's say it's people doing reporting, the same person reporting twice. That's still 27,000. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, you know, let's yeah. say it's the same person reporting four times in, mm. in 82,000 people. That's, that, can you imagine where your mind is that you're doing something like that. We sentence people a civil death and incarcerate them. And that the incarceration is the punishment, the torture. Yeah. And the, you know, the torture, which is now occurring, that isn't part of the sentencing and, and that's being unrecognized. Uh So uh, we've had the highest, uh, highest incidence of self-harm, 55,000, Highest deaths of uh, deaths in custody and suicides, highest ever in recorded history. Um, the highest number of ambulance callouts on record in recorded history of prisons. Yeah, it's wow. uh, mm. it is it's dire. It's you know? dire, and, and to then, go backwards and then fifteen years. You know, like to go backwards. Yeah, it's completely bug on backwards. So even within criminal justice setting, um, 
you know, within probation, because of all of the other um, safety nets, societal safety nets of, you know, healthcare, of the benefit system, of uh, uh, education and training, grants and support, etc. All of it's gone in the UK. You know, food banks you probably have seen worldwide have gone sky high in the UK. Mm. But so all of those like constructs of like protecting the vulnerable, they've all gone. And so that has a pressure cooker effect on anybody that's trying to deliver behavioural change programme. Yeah, I, or, I totally, or, totally agree. Or help in probation. Yeah, because you, you can deliver, you know, I've always, we've, you know, we discussed this in, in the past, but, um, you know, you could deliver a great afternoon session engaging young, not, you know, young people not involved in education, employment or training, and then they go home to a, a whole lot of just, you know, crap Chaos. at home yeah. um, and and you know what's the point and in fact actually you probably got them excited in the afternoon give them some hope and then it's been dashed in the evening because their parents are dealing with austerity and social uh, you know fallouts uh, just i'm interested because 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 you take because the user voice take on contracts and what i what i love about hearing you speak today is that you know you feel completely free to you know advocate um, to take on political issues, to get to the heart of what you see as reality, and you and you don't feel bound, you know, like because you're, you're, um, you know, you're responsible. On, when you wake up in the morning, you're, you're weighing heavily, I'm sure, in your mind as all your staff, especially in COVID times. You know, like you, you've got yeah. a significant number of staff that are relying on you to pay the bills, um, and and how do you balance that, like? taking the contracts, staying free politically and staying with the issues and, and continuing to advocate, you know, how, how do you, you know, do what others can't seem to do? Cause a lot of charities, you know, zip up the, the as soon as they get the funding, they, they go very quiet on the public advocacy. Um, yep. What, how do you purpose? It? It, yeah. It's purpose, Mark. So, you know, it's, it, it's the, the, the central, point of gravity for me is I know I know what my purpose in life is and um, and I focus on that so the the external pressures are secondary so if you know for instance there's job insecurity right now okay with everybody you know like there's going to be mass- this is this is a real game changer I think across the world really um, but you know, mass unemployment, etc., is about to happen. Depression, etc. But um, I would help people whether I got paid or not. And how and... do you balance? How do you balance that against? So I'm interested in how you, on a day to day basis, have you sort of grabbed people around you to do the operational thing? What's your like? What is Mark yes, Johnson? Yes, the yeah, founder? yeah, yeah. So, what, yeah. So, so, so yeah, I, in my mind, I was quite let's call it naively enthusiastic, right? So when when I decided to want to help other people, as you know, you've just sort of said that, when I could see that the what they wanted to do diverted from actually what I wanted to do, I left. Uh, and on, it probably worth a mention that that programme that um, designed for the trust, the Prince of Trust, is actually no longer in existence. Mm. And it's no longer in existence for exactly the same reasons that I said that it wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so if you think of all of the donor money that went into that, yeah, 
the success in point uh, uh, zero to one year when I was r- running the pilot stage of it. I was very successful with the right kind of people involved in it. Point uh, one year to th- uh, after four years, it had gone. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Um, now I I'm morally convicted about that. So uh, the person that was employed to deliver it is was done it out of career maybe lost their job or maybe got moved to another. Mm. The service user who absolutely co-designed that program has got nothing now. Yeah. You know, that when you look at things like that, then you become morally convicted to do what you do. Yeah. So when you when you look at the friction between a political, um, you know, cold shoulder, because of you've said the truth, you've talked your truth, or... The, being seduced by a contract, there's for me, there's no comparison. So I, See, yesterday I wrote to the Justice um, Secretary and I wrote to the Justice Secretary and I copied in all of the senior people from the civil service. And by four o'clock yesterday afternoon, every single person replied. Wow. And what I said was, what I, this is what I said was, um, the, re, the renationalisation has been announced um, we've been delivering this. We're one of the only small charities that have delivered, got taken with all of the public sector, uh, private sector providers, eight of them. Uh, we've they've not only been retained, but we've literally improved the uh, quality of delivery and the contract value. And yet the phone hasn't rang once about how that innovation gets carried forward into this new. And guess what the innovation is? Listening to the end user. And yeah. you're announcing policy now that literally does not have any provision of listening to the end user, and you're going to make a disastrous mistake again. Any part of that. Yeah, and you and you know uh, that. And literally, I had, a, I had um, I had responded by four o'clock this afternoon by about six different sort of heads of departments, and it's and it's that that's a conviction. So whether you like what I've said or not, and often you can be the most uncomfortable person in the room, the truth is the truth. And mm. we need to get, there needs to be more people with integrity that are prepared to speak out because the people that are going, when you get seduced by that contract, you lose your voice. Yeah. And if you lose your voice, you do what that top down wants you to do rather than what the bottom needs. Yeah, and we we must live with this inherent friction between the two. Yes, we need finances to be able to mobilise our ideas and to be able to replicate and uh, and uh, scale. Yeah, well, or do we? Maybe we need an ethical uh, ethics department within our organisations to ask this question: What? How do we scale? You know, because that's another issue. I've had it with my board of like they've literally become they they. I don't. You know, believe they're committed to the social mission, but uh, people can really get sidetracked uh, about like the accountants and the treasurer around financial uh, growth. And I've, I mean, I- I've had to stop and said, uh, I founded this charity, and if there's any growth, it's a growth in quality of delivery, not yep. the contract, not the not the bottom line. I would love to and be, let's be a measured, fly on the let's wall. Be when we, yeah, yeah, and then also. <laughs> People said, oh, you know, what do you want to do? This could go global. And we've all got these aspirations to think bigger and better, but it's 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 a it's a capitalist construct and it's mine, you know, bigger, better, big is better. It's not. 
you know, it, when you're looking at vulnerable people and uh, local is better, think lo- uh, think global, yes, work local. Yeah. That's that's a good philosophy to have. Yeah. And then to also uh, ask, ask these questions to ourselves, you know, how big do you want to get? So I've set currently in the management team, which I now have, you did you did say that earlier, I've I've got for the first time ever a management team. It's like a luxury, it's amazing. And I've I've had a real battle with myself as well around um because I've been so active and so busy and so ground zero and so stratospheric. Yeah. Um I've really struggled like with my mental health around that. Around right. like Letting changing go. the kind of mental cogs. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? What, in terms um, of let, and, letting go of the control of the day-to-day? Like, yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's a real, they call it founder syndrome. Yeah. Um, uh, luckily for me, I, I'm, I'm, I, as I said to you, I've got that central point of gravity, which is my purpose. So I've done that first, but I've innovated a model and I've took it to market and I've scaled it to a, deg- to a, to a place that I recognise that my skills aren't in in industrialization yeah um what my skill is is to keep everybody on track to say is this of benefit to people who need it um and and being the being the founder with lived experience is very useful to that end user it brings a confidence to even the people that we employ because they know that i'm like them they know that we're employing people with certain skill sets that work on our behalf, on behalf of our social mission. Because you were doing this, and like when you when you take, you know going back in time, so you, when you um, so you're on the streets and you you were helped by agencies from what I can remember. So I think yeah. was it Centre Point because you were homeless. Uh, yeah, it was t- Turning Point. Turning Point. It, yeah. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's all about people. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's all about, and, and when these organizations scale, it becomes about delivering a KPIs on a contract. Yeah. And you were helped by a person. To an end I user. Remember, I remember you saying that. Yeah, it's you, people. You were, you were helped by a person. You're on the street and you were um, helped by a person that you related to. And I think the Princess Trust gave you some cash to start a business. And what, and what, um, what, you know, like fast forward to now, but back then you were, you know, successful tree surgery business. Um, I think it was yeah. down in, down in Dorset. It was, is that right? Down in Dorset. Yeah. 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 And you were, and yeah. you were back then you were actually employing, you saw the absolute value mission, mission, going back to your purpose and mission. Um, Mark yeah. Johnson, Mark Johnson employing other ex offenders uh, and help giving them a helping hand, right. Um, and empowering them yeah, to kind I'll of prob- get their I'll probably done. Yeah. Yeah. I've probably employed about, oh, I don't know, it's got to be close to a thousand people over the, from from being clean, you know, from getting into um, uh, recovery and um, sort of the start the first startup to now, twenty years later or whatever. I think I probably I probably employed like close to a thousand people with lived experience. Hell of a legacy. And as we move towards wrapping up, because I don't want to you know hold you all night, but we have to mm. end this, but. I mean, when I look at your legacy, uh, you're a successful author. So you wrote a book called uh, Wasted, which is a fantastic yeah. read. That's going to be a legacy. Um, all of those people that you employed and you, you know, you came, potentially came across, across, they came across you, you came across them 
at an absolute crucial juncture in their lives and it may have headed them in absolutely the right direction and helped them kind of get back on track. Um, what, what would your, you know, user voice legacy look like? What, what would you sort of, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years look back and go, do you know what, I'm really proud of that. What, what, what do you want to do next with user voice? Um, I, I think I, I, I want it to scale um, with the the caveat of that is uh, proportionality. And that so local bet there's you twenty yeah. there's, there's 120 prisons and there needs to be a beacon of hope in 120 establishments for people who who want to have a very uh, uh, a stake in their own future, um, you know, in a, in a, in a, in, in join in a very peer-led way. Yeah, um, that change is possible, and that's you know you're going back to the how do you know pigs can fly unless you've seen one? Well, that's that's using that same uh, principle there because we've employed ex offenders who now walk around prisons with keys, and seeing is believing the the disbelief of somebody on that prison bed of 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 meeting somebody who was in their shoes. You know, a number of years ago, there's that's the intervention. Yeah, and and the intervention is hope is uh, you know is uh, change is possible. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, um, and yeah, that's fantastic. I really appreciate. A very swift end to the episode, but big thank you for listening. I really enjoyed my conversation with Mark Johnson. It's really good to connect with them after all these years. And uh, I think I said in the episode, one of the most mission-driven people that I know, um, he really, really is dedicated to helping stop people go back to prison by empowering them, giving the tools to uh, live their full life and um, you know, reach their full potential. So uh, please hit subscribe. Please leave a review if you get a chance. Tell friends and family, very keen to build my audience and inspire others. People who want to do something good for others, uh, whether it's start something, add to something. Um, But yeah, thanks for listening uh, and go easy. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review.